Well, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning it's happening. I have my annual physical tomorrow morning, bright and early. Aren't you excited for me? I can sense it. You're pumped, you're stoked, and I am too. Now, in all honesty, I am kind of looking forward to that physical, and here's why, because I feel wonderful. I'm full of energy and vigor. I feel strong and joyful. I'm just happy. And so I look forward to my examination. I expect great results. But let's spin a scenario here. Let's say that contrary to what I expect, my doctor, a very wonderful and competent woman, let's say that she finds through my blood work that my levels are off to the extreme. Question, how would you feel about her if she decided, knowing that something was wrong, she decided not to tell me the bad news just to try to spare my feelings, my emotions? Would you respect that decision? How would you feel about her integrity? They see, medical professionals, and we have many of them, dozens and dozens here at Grace, who live and work in that whole world, they're so respected in our society because we expect them to give us the facts, right? Uh, no nonsense, just tell us the truth, the whole truth, and do it in a com as compassionate a way as possible. That's what doctors are supposed to do. No one would respect a doctor who after some blood work or perhaps a biopsy found her patient had an aggressive malignancy and decides not to share the bad news. No, you know as well as I do that that would be medical malpractice. We respect professionals who tell the truth, but who do it in, like I said, as compassionate a manner as possible. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ contained in the Bible diagnoses our condition as human beings. And we call that gospel good news. But if you've been a Christian very long, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that the good news starts with some pretty bad news that is just not all that pleasant to hear. And so our challenge in the modern world is how to share that bad news without watering it down, but to do it in the most winsome way we possibly can. Now, what do I mean when I say bad news? I want to be very specific so that no one misunderstands. It's that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of his moral character. And what's more, we did not sin just by accident. No, we sin habitually. We are sinners by nature and by choice, and it gets even worse because we've been caught up in habits and patterns of sin. Scripture says that we are slaves to sin. And we've rebelled against this almighty and loving God who created us. That's the biblical diagnosis of our condition. Furthermore, the consequence of that choice to rebel against this loving God who created us is that each of us, according to Scripture, is spiritually dead 
in our trespasses and sins, and we therefore stand under the just judgment and wrath of God. We are condemned because of our sin. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't this just a wonderful, cheery message? I mean, it's a lovely, you just see butterflies flittering about in a meadow and birds singing. It just makes your heart soar, doesn't it? To hear the bad news of the gospel. But here's the part that really galls modern people. According to the Bible, there's only one cure for that condition. Not many, not a multitude of ways that one could be saved from that perilous, horrible tragic condemnation. There's only one way. Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to God the Father except through him. In other words, the way is very, very narrow. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Come on, that is way too narrow for most people to accept. But I hope you get the gist of what I mean when I say the bad news of the gospel. Now, though everything I just said is absolutely true, it's very unpopular. Would you agree? I mean, that, if you want an unpopular message, if you want people to snarl put their nose up, if you want people to just think you are the most offensive person in the world, try sharing a little bit of that news. It is so unpopular. But just like no responsible doctor can ignore bad news about a patient when she discovers it, we as responsible Christians cannot ignore the bad news of the gospel. But we're tempted to aren't we? I mean, we live in a culture where all of us, Christians of all different kinds, not just leaders, were tempted to kind of ignore or play down those unpleasant parts of the gospel because we know people don't like that. And so we want to try to keep the message positive and, and, and cheery. I'll never forget watching a Larry King interview years ago where a very popular preacher in America whose church had grown very large his book was, at that time, a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list, and he was being interviewed by Larry King because America was just enamored with his positive message. And Larry King asked, well, where do things like sin and judgment and hell fit into what you preach? And the preacher smiled with a cheeky grin and said, well, Larry, I don't, I don't get into things like that. You know, people know things are wrong. You don't have to tell them. I just tell them about the good things that God will do for them. Now, what would you think of a doctor who related to you like that? You go into the doctor and say, Doc, I've got a problem. Well, I don't want to hear about that. We all know that there's problems out there. We know there's a lot of sickness out there. I just want you to focus on happy thoughts. We'd call that doctor a quack. We'd say, you're a complete whack job. You're a quack. That 
is medical malpractice. And if people are going to be truly healed of this deadly condition of alienation from God in trespasses and sins, they've got to know how the law of God diagnoses their fundamental problem. And then they've got to know how the grace of God through Jesus Christ addresses that problem and cures it. Now hear me today. If we, as responsible Christians, leave out either the good news or the bad news, the gospel has lost its potency. If you want cliff notes on my message today, you could sum it up like this. If we're going to be responsible followers of Jesus, the comforting parts and the challenging parts of the gospel have to be kept together. You cannot separate them or you are totally changing the message. All right. With that as an introduction, last week we kicked off this brand new series that I'm calling Potency and Proximity. And I challenge you to get in on what God is already doing in the world, to get up every morning. Some of you, by the way, have told me this was inspiring to you, and I was happy to hear that. Some of you have said, Pastor, I've been practicing that. I'm getting up every morning, and I'm saying, God, I want you to give me the eyes to see where you're already working and then how I can get in on that. And when you do that, it makes life a grand adventure. Last night, we talked about how God has called all of us as his followers to be fishers of people, to be involved in this great process of salvation as he draws people to himself. We even prayed last week a bold prayer. Man, it was a bold prayer that God would love people through our hearts. He would see people through our eyes, walk through our feet, serve through our hands, hear through our ears, and cry through our tears. All of that last week. And some of you have gotten in on that grand adventure. Because as we saw in Matthew 4.19, the call is there, and it's very clear. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the question is, do we have potent bait? And the gospel in all of its fullness is definitely potent. Paul essentially says that much in Romans 1.16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. My life is positive proof of that. I have been radically changed by believing the gospel and trusting in Christ. Many of you could stand up and you would gladly give the same testimony. Yes, the gospel was potent medicine in my life. God met me and I was living such a life of dissipation and debauchery. I was going nowhere. I was dead in my sins. It was a dead end life. And Jesus took me out of that pit and he's changing me from the inside out. Dozens of you, dozens of you at all of our locations could give that kind of testimony that the gospel is potent. But if we strip it 
of either the good parts or the bad parts, we have literally turned it into a different gospel. In your Bibles, in Galatians chapter one, Paul sends a powerful word to the Galatian Christians about this very issue. There were some people who were coming along in Galatia and were adding some things to the gospel in that particular case. They were adding, hey, if you really want to be a Christian, males, you got to be circumcised. Hey, all of you, you have to follow dietary laws and eat kosher if you want to be a real Christian. And you got to follow the Old Testament system that Moses gave us for festivals and all that stuff. And they were trying to add that to the gospel. Listen to these powerful words that Paul gave, starting in Galatians 1, verse 6. I'm astonished, he says, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Note those words. In Paul's teaching, if you add to or take away from the purity of the gospel, you have turned it into a different gospel. Notice the next phrase, which is really no gospel at all. Whoa. If you tamper with the purity of this gospel, you've got no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he gets really, really blunt. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So the question for us is, how do we maintain the purity of that message in a world where people just don't want to hear that? Well, what I want to do today is I'm going to walk you through the Ten Commandments. I want to walk you through the Ten Commandments, and I want, to, want us to try to take a look at why the bad news of the gospel is so incredibly crucial for us to maintain. I've had many conversations through the years with people, and I'll just tell you my experience, okay? This is not from some survey or some book I read. My experience is most people believe that they've got a few quirks in their life, but they're not all that bad, right? That's what most people I've talked with believe about themselves. And the reason they believe that is because they're playing the comparison game. What they're doing is they're saying, well, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than Jeffrey Dahmer, the monster. I'm better than Adolf Hitler. I'm better than Osama bin Laden. And so they compare themselves with some evil person, maybe even their least favorite politician, and they go, well, I'm better than him or I'm better than her. But the problem is, God is not judging us based on some evil person. He's judging us based on his law. And when we look at the law, we become conscious of what we're really like. As Paul put it in Romans 3, through the law, we become conscious of sin. I like the way J.B. Phillips paraphrased that when he said, God gave us the straight edge of the law 
so that we would see how crooked we really are. So, I don't know how you think about yourself today, and I'm probably talking to some folks right now at one of our locations or online, and maybe you're trying to figure out faith and what the gospel's about and maybe what Christianity is. This is gonna be helpful for you. It begins, a relationship with Christ begins with enormous humility and looking at your current situation. In other words, a proper diagnosis of where you really are. So as we walk through these, I want you to score yourself on how many of them you have broken, how many of them you've kept. And at the end, we're going to raise our hand, and we're going to see who's really righteous in this group, all right? This is a self-scoring system, and I want you to keep up with how many you've kept and how many you've broken. Now, keep in mind, the Bible says that if you break one of God's laws, you might as well have broken all 10 in terms of being guilty and deserving of hell. You don't have to break every law on the books to be sentenced to Attica Correctional Facility. One will do just fine. As James says in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. If you're hanging over a cliff by a chain with 10 links in it, how many links have to break for you to fall? They don't all have to break. If just one breaks, you're done, okay? So the Bible says you break one, you're guilty of them all. So we're gonna see who's really righteous. I'm gonna walk through the 10 commandments here. And again, it's an honor system. I want you to see how many you've never broken and I want you to keep your own score and we'll ask for a show of hands at the end. So here we go. Commandment number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you have always put God first in your life in everything you did, in everything you said, in every value choice you made, in every attitude you've had, you count that as one you've never broken. He's been the number one priority both in attitude and action. Then you count that as one. I got that one down. I've never broken that. Number two. Thou shalt not make into thee any graven image. If you've never carved or fashioned an idol out of stone or wood or some material and fallen down and worshiped that idol as God, you count that as one you've never broken. Aren't you glad that one's in there? We've all got one. Now, I know, I know the Bible teaches that there's all kinds of idolatry. You can make an idol out of anything, right? But we're not gonna count it that way. We're trying to make this easy for everyone. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So here we go. Have you broken that? If you have never sworn in your entire life, you've never cursed, you've never used the name of God in profanity, you've never used that popular phrase, oh God, as an expletive. If you've never sung a hymn and then weren't really thinking about the words you were singing, or if you've used the name of God, flippantly, so as to drain it of its meaning, then you count that as one you've never broken. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's make that the Lord's day. So if you have always worshiped God the way he deserves and ought to be worshiped, let's say you've never kind of sneaked out of church to 
go fishing or do your own thing or engage in some frivolous pursuit on Sunday. You've never pretended you were sick and maybe went to Bedside Baptist on Sunday morning, you know, where Reverend Sheets always has a soothing message for you. You can be sure of that. If you've always worshiped God in the way you should, and if now you take at least one day out of seven, you never break this, at least one day out of seven, and you set it apart and hallow it as a day for rest and restoration, you don't use it to, for chores to get caught up on things. You count that as one you've never broken, okay? Next one, honor your father and your mother. If when you were a child, oh Lord, you never disobeyed your parents, never. You always had first-time obedience. If they said, pick up your toys, you immediately picked up your toys. If you never sassed your parents, if you never gave them any attitude, if you've always treated them with the respect they deserve, and if now, as they are older, you never complain about them being childish, then you count that as one you've never broken. Thou shalt not kill. All right, if you've never murdered any, but I know the Bible says in 1 John 3, 15, if you hate someone, you, you've broken this command, but we're not gonna count it that way. If you've never actually murdered someone and taken their life, you count that as one you've never broken. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If when you were younger, maybe before you got married or now as a single person, you were never and are never promiscuous. You've never engaged in any kind of sexual immorality. And after you're married, if you're married, you have always been faithful to your mate. Now, I know the New Testament says crazy things. Like if you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart, right? We're not gonna count it that way. We're trying, to, we're trying to make this as easy as we can, right? You count that as one you've never broken. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. If you have always given an honest day work to your employer and didn't steal time from your employer because you never loafed, you never kind of just showed up but didn't really work, if you have never stolen anything that didn't belong to you, taken anything, a dime out of your mother's purse, a towel out of a hotel, a strawberry off of a salad bar that you didn't pay for, a candy bar out of a grocery store that you didn't pay for, an answer off someone else's paper, then you count that as one you've never broken. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. If you've never told a lie, your whole life. You've never even exaggerated or embellished or added details to a story to make it sound grander. If you've never even told a white lie, you count that as one you've never broken. Number 10, thou shalt not covet. If you have never wished that you had something that belonged to someone else or someone that belonged to someone else, if you've never been envious of someone else or what they had, Count that as one you've never broken. All right, are you ready? Have you kept your score? I wanna start, we're gonna score ourselves and I wanna see hands now all over the place. I first of all wanna see all the perfect people at all of our locations. All of you have kept all 10 commandments perfectly all your life. I want you to raise your hand up high and proud. And by the way, you're showing that you have actually broken them if you raise your hand. 
because your pride is a sin, a big time sin. Okay. All right. How many of you have kept nine of these perfectly all your life? You've kept them perfectly. How many have kept eight? Raise your hand up, high and proud. You're very righteous. You've kept eight of these. Seven. How many have you kept seven? Am I not seeing some hands here? All right. How many of you have kept six? This is a very wicked group of people. I want you to know right now. Wow. Can you believe it? Now, I'm going to stop right there because I'm making some of you nervous, you know? You're wondering, oh, no, how far is he going to go with this? I figure I've kept three. I've never made a graven image, and the other two are none of your business, right? (laughs) But I want to show you something that Paul said in Romans 3. He said, through the law, remember, we become conscious of sin. We've just demonstrated the truth of that right now. None of us have even kept five of these, and if we really counted them the way Bible teaches, we've broken every one of them, and we've done it over and over and over again. But the straight edge of the law shows us how crooked we really are. The English word sin comes out of the archery world. The Greek word hamartia, translated sin, has its etymology in the world of bows and arrows and archery. And when I was a little child, probably nine or 10 years old, I'll never forget, I was so excited. I got a bow and arrow set as a gift. And it was this little wooden bow and it had this bowstring attached to it and had probably four or five arrows that came with it. Oh, I envisioned myself as a warrior. And I went outside around our house and I would shoot that arrow into an open field and see how far it would fly. And I thought, wow, I'm really good at this. I'd string up another arrow and shoot it and think, wow, that's amazing. I am really, really good at this. But then I put up that red bullseye target that came with the bow and arrow set. Put it up on the side of the barn And as I shot at that and missed time and time again, I suddenly realized, wow, I'm not so good at this after all. You see, it's funny, isn't it? I never realized I was missing the mark until I had a target to shoot for. And the reason people today can actually think of themselves as, hey, I'm pretty good, is that they don't know what the target is they've missed. And that's why Paul says in Romans 7, indeed, I would not have known what sin was. I would not have known what the target was that I was missing except through the law. I've got to know what God's standards are. But when I see his standards that are based in his very moral character, then I realize, wow, not only am I not that great of a guy, but I have repeatedly, habitually violated God's standards over and over again, and I stand responsible for that. That's what Scripture means in Romans 3.23 when it says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word glory is used in a lot of ways in the Bible, but there it's talking about God's moral character. And we've fallen short of that. And so the laws that God gave, the laws that we just went through and tested ourselves with, the laws of the old covenant, 
They actually reveal the moral character of God. When God said, thou shalt not steal, it's not because stealing is not nice, it's because God's not a thief. And we were made to be in his image. So hey, be like God, don't steal. And when it says you shall not bear false witness, it's because God cannot lie. It's not even in his nature. And so we're supposed to be made in his image. We're supposed to be like him. So be truth tellers. Tell the truth like God does. When it says don't commit adultery, why, why is that? What does that have? It's because God is always faithful. And we're made to be in his image, so don't commit adultery. So I hope you're getting this big idea today. The law of God, which reveals the moral character of God, is the target that we have missed. And we just proved that a moment ago. But if people don't understand that bad news, why do they need the gospel? They don't need the gospel. They're just fine, they think. The bad news and the good news of the gospel can never be separated. No matter how unpopular the bad news part may be, they've got to stay together. So let me put it to you in these final moments as bluntly as I can. If people are basically good and we're acceptable to God just as we are, maybe we've got a few quirks to iron out. Hey, can I tell you what to do? Just give them a couple of self-help books and tell them to think happy thoughts because that's all they need. But if, as the Bible teaches, we are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, then self-help and do-it-yourself religion is like slapping a Band-Aid on a cancer. It won't solve anything ultimately. It'll only possibly make you feel a little bit better right now. The only remedy for our real situation is the grace and forgiveness of God that flows from the old rugged cross. And that is the potent message that we have the privilege of bringing and sharing. By the way, that's one of the reasons I am so incredibly excited about Alpha coming this fall. Here's why. Don't want you to miss this. You see, some of you probably want to respond right now to my message so far and go, but pastor, what are we supposed to do? Are you saying I need to walk into my office tomorrow and go, hey, all of you are a bunch of sinners and you're going to hell? Good luck with that. Boy, I, I doubt that's going to lead a lot of people closer to Christ. But it's the dilemma, isn't it? Because it, you don't even realize your need from God according to the Bible unless you understand the dilemma, the diagnosis, the bad news that I'm broken and sinful and in desperate need of salvation. I've been alienated from the very life of God. God wants to bring me back into union with him. How do you share that hard part of the message, that challenging part, in a winsome way? I think Alpha does that as well as anything I've ever seen. And that's why I challenge you to go online, go to our website and register for Alpha. 
If you're wondering where you stand with God or if you have people in your life that as far as you know don't know Christ yet, you register for Alpha and begin to pray for them by name as we talked last week. Grab one of these 11-2 cards. 11-2 is Luke's gospel. It's where the Lord's Prayer begins in chapter 11, verse 2. And I'm getting in the habit of this. Every day this week, I was able to think around 1102, okay, I'm going to pray for the people that are on my list. And I, I urge you to do the same. And it doesn't have to be right at that time. But throughout the day, pray for people by name who don't know Christ yet. And then go online and register for Alpha. You see, we have an opportunity this fall, and it may be the best opportunity that we have in our lifetime or possibly for many years to see people that we really care about come to a genuine, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you get involved, when you begin to pray for people, when you begin to ask God, where are you working and how can I get in on that? You are literally joining with God in the great adventure of salvation. And folks, I want you to know that is one fulfilling life. Father, thank you that you've given us a potent gospel. May we never compromise it. May we never try to dilute it because it's uncomfortable. But help us to boldly and with great courage share the gospel in the most winsome way possible. Would you empower us, Lord? I'm praying for people right now who have loved ones and they're sitting here wondering, oh, oh, that I could only have an opportunity to help them see the truth about where they are. Lord, I pray that if Alpha is the tool you would use, that you would show them that and you would get them involved and give an opportunity to make that invitation to Alpha. Father, I pray boldly that you would bring scores and scores of people into relationship with you this fall, people who right now don't have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that you would use us in that process, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.